The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. And I hope you had a Merry Christmas. We had a, we had a great Christmas at our house. We had a number of family that was in. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, it's strange how sometimes it's the most unlikely gift that becomes kind of the gift that everybody wants to play with at, at Christmas. At, at our house, it was a very inexpensive stocking stuffer, this little R2-D2 Bop It. I don't know if you ever played the game Bop It, but uh, you do what it tells you to do. You either bop it, you twist it, you pull it, and then used to you would pass it. Well, they've kind of repackaged the whole thing, of course, in Star Wars form, so you're serenaded by C-3PO telling you what to do. And my, my kids, I've got a couple college-age kids and one that's just out of college, and, and this became like the, 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 the big toy for Christmas. And so they were competing. I think my daughter, Emma, may have the high score right now. I'm not sure. Uh, that was the, the last I heard yesterday. Uh, but, but all through like the white noise of like uh, tearing presents and laughter and oohs and ahs and, and some crying. We had, a, we had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-month-old with us. It's always great to have kids, but, but, but you know, along with the laughter comes some of the tears. And, but, but above all that noise, you kept hearing C-3PO, bop it, pull it, twist it. Oh, so sorry, sir, signing off now. So uh, you never know what's going to become the, the breakout gift, but, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a Merry Christmas at our house. Hope it was at your house as well. Isn't it crazy? We're just hours away from, uh, from 2018. That's, isn't that crazy? We're going we're gonna to slide into 2018 because of the ice that's coming, I guess. But, uh, but 2018 is upon us. And my question for you this morning is this. Are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for uh, really the 40 plus years that uh, the TBC has um, been on the map and been used by you, Father, cared for by you, um, and, uh, and we pray, Father, that we remain effective for you in 2018 and the years to come. That's our hope. Father, guide us as we open your word today and give us insight. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Years ago, I, um, I led a group of uh, 20 high school students on a mountain climbing trip. We went to Colorado. We were going to climb Mount Arkansas, uh, 13,795 feet above sea level. Um, we had great confidence in our guide. Our, our packs were filled with everything, you know, that we could imagine that we would need on, on a trip like this. And, uh, and as we arrived there, we could just see the summit beckoning us, you know. Six days later, we were going to move from where we were to that summit. It was just calling us on uh, to, uh, to, to, to take the summit. We were ready to be um, adventurers, right? But what we didn't know was it was going to be one of the wettest and one of the warmest summers that Colorado had had in years. The, the rivers were swollen, the rain was 
relentless. As you can imagine, the fires were almost impossible, the campfires, and uh, as, as were like dry sleeping bags. It was, it was uh, quite the challenge. And the whole time, as a result of that, the whole time as we are about our destination, right, as we're moving towards our summits, we had to keep pulling aside for one another. You know, there was blistered feet, there was um, wet clothing, there was exhaustion where we had to stop and redistribute the weight of the packs, there was uh, altitude sickness, there was all these things that constantly were interrupting us on the journey, and, uh, and we kept having to pull aside. On day six, that was going to be our ascent, our, our ascent to the peak. And we set out that morning and we were so excited. By the way, when you get up that high above tree line, I mean, you go 10 feet and you're like, Ugh, stop, take a breath. My, my legs are killing me. Um, and that was true of even the teenagers that was with, was with us, not just me. Um, but, uh, but quite the challenge. But here we were getting so close and at about 13,600 feet, we came to an impasse. There was a massive snow mass that was blocking our way. No way to traverse over it. No way to traverse safely around it. We were going to have to call 13,600 feet our summit. We were so incredibly disappointed. I mean, we were, we were so disappointed that that, that that thing that we were moving towards, walking towards, was not going to be made. And there it stood, like, like almost mocking us, you know? We spent some time on, the, on our summit and then began to make our way back down, as, as you might expect. It's a lot easier going down a mountain than going up a mountain, right? And uh, so we're um, getting kind of a, a new excitement about us, and slowly, slowly but surely, a new realization began to come over us. We realized that we were not the same people. You know, all those, those times where we had to, to pull aside, to have our, our journey interrupted, um, were actually opportunities uh, for us to care for one another in ways that we had not cared for one another as a youth group. We began to, 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 to realize that we had experienced a taste of love in a way that we had not tasted it uh, before. And in fact, we knew that God had done a work in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of hardship. We realize once again that God is a good God. I love what it says in, in 1 Peter. You can turn there in your Bibles or in your apps. You'll see it on the screen here. But 1 Peter says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Beautiful passage reminding us of our hope. So again, what is your hope in? What is your hope in and why? You see, depending on on where or on what your hope lies, it will affect how you live your life, right? I mean, it really does affect how you live your life. Um, We just went through the holiday season, through the Christmas season, and some parents really do hope that their kids believe that Santa's making a list and checking it twice. Why? Because they think that that's going to really, you know, make their kids behave during the holidays. So we've propagated um, that idea out there. I hope that when I go see the dentist here soon, it's been three years. I'm like so good about that normally. But I'm hoping that when I go see the dentist that I don't have any cavities. I'm one of these weirdos that, that actually flosses every single day. I, I, you know, I, just, I just do that. I don't know why I haven't seen the dentist in three years. Sorry, Kirk, but I'm coming. Um, but I hope I won't have any cavities. Um, some of you who have companies that have like a year-end bonus, you may have worked extra hard, been extra attentive to your customers, hoping for a good year-end bonus at the end of uh, 2017. Years ago, a, a college couple that I officiated their, their, their wedding, he pulls me aside on the night of the, uh, the rehearsal dinner, and he's just giddy, and he's like, Shannon, Shannon, he goes, like, like, we've been working hard for our honeymoon. I'm like, oh, yeah? He goes, yeah, we're working on our LG&W. Your LG&W? Yeah, our look good naked weight. I'm like, look good naked weight. Nice. Vanity. Vanity. And, and all of us, all of us, like, know those who have lost their hope, right? You say they live in, like, the glory days of their lives. They, they look back to maybe it's the high school glory days or their college glory days, like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite, who's sitting on the, the front porch of his nephew's house of Kip's home, and he's, and he's just waxing on about the old glory days when he played football, the quarterback on the, on the high school football team. And as he's talking to Kip about it, he's looking out over the fields and he can see this vista of mountains out in the distance. And he's just kind of caught up in the moment. And he's like, Kip, what do you want to bet that, that I, could, I could throw a football? I could throw a football clean over them mountains. And, and we all go, yeah, your ego's writing checks that your body cannot cash, buddy. We've all been there in those moments, right? And now y'all think that I'm quite the punk that I actually like Napoleon Dynamite. And I do, I do. Every time it comes on, I turn it on. My family groans as, as I sit and laugh and, and watch Napoleon Dynamite. But what our hope is in, what your hope is in, will show up in your life. Hope affects behavior. And for a follower of Christ, the evidence of our hope is going to be seen, it's going to be seen in our love. Let me put it this way. The quality of our love is evidence of the confidence in our hope. The quality of our love is evidence of the confidence in our hope. Paul regularly linked these ideas of love and faith and hope together in every one of his letters. 
In uh, Colossians 1, it says this. He says, he says we, always, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in its truth. In its truth. So through the gift of faith, the grace of faith in our life, you were introduced, you and I were introduced to hope. That a loving God offers to us. And that hope causes us to live and love differently. You see, the gospel's power in the world, it's always bearing fruit. It's always increasing. God is always in the business. Do you realize this? God is always in the business of transforming lives. And to accomplish his work, he uses, he uses the church. Every member of his body, every child of God has been equipped with these three, these three graces, these three gifts, faith, hope, and love. And you know what? You're going to need them throughout your entire life. You're going to need them through your whole life. They, 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 uh, they're necessary. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three. In other words, they remain. But the greatest of these is love. See, the, the context of this, of this statement is that there are going to be some gifts as the church matures, as the church grows, as the people of God grow and mature, that are, that are no longer going to be needed. Those gifts are going to cease. But these three are going to remain. And I, and I love that truth. I love the fact that I am never going to grow too mature to need faith, hope, and love. It's, it's, they're not like the training wheels that God puts on my life until like I learn how to ride the bike. You know, I'm not going to come to the place where it's like, yo, God, I'm good now. You can take the trainers off and, uh, and I'm good just to kind of sail along. How's the old uh, Toys R Us go? You know, I'm a big kid now. We're not going to get to that time. It seems like that, 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 that God has built us to always need these do you realize that? These three will always have to be leaned into in our life for us to be fully productive, fully whole, fully human. That's crazy, but that's so important. Faith is my trust in the goodness of God. Hope is God's promise that, that I have a place in His ongoing plans of transformation. And love is our unconditional and sacrificial commitments to another's good in life. So, are you hopeful? Are you full of hope? Do you see that God is up to something strategic here as Temple Bible Church rolls into 2018 and beyond? Are you are you hopeful? Are you certain that God is transforming the world through the compelling truth and beauty and grace 
that is His Gospel. Do you believe that when you roll out of bed, when you roll out of bed each morning, that God wants to use your thoughts, your behavior, your words to, to, to make an impact on those around you, to transform the lives of those around you, your friends, your mate, your, your family, uh, the, the business folks that you work with, your place of business, the place you recreate, the place you, you work out, the, this community. Are you convinced that God is at work today? Because here's what I can tell you. The thing, <clears throat> the thing that is so important is that who or what or where our hope lies will affect how we live our life. The quality of our love is evidence of our confidence in our hope. But, but, God's people often misunderstand the nature of hope. Of the three, faith, hope, and love, the one that I think creates the greatest confusion in our life is that, that uh, grace of hope. You see, there's two kinds of hope. One kind of hope just kind of crosses its fingers and toes and it wishes like the bestest wish that can ever be wished, to quote many of the Disney movies. Or, or it just kind of hopes that the cosmic genie would just grant maybe you know, one or two or three of my many wishes, my, my many hopes that I, that I have in this life. And I'm just going to try to be good to make sure that that happens. That's one kind of hope right? But the other kind of hope can be counted on because it's promised by a faithful and loving God who promises, listen to this, He promises to never fail His people. Like He is not done with His people. He is not done with His children. You can say it this way, for some, hope is just a question mark. For others, hope is an exclamation point. You realize that? And I guess I would ask, you know, which are you more familiar with in your life? Which, which, which are you more familiar with? Are you certain of God's promises to love you and to use you and to give you a rich future? Or, or have you begun to question that? Have you begun to question that? Well, not only is our hope promised and certain, but it is both future and it is present. There's definitely a future hope. Future hope looks ahead to our inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is the, the hope of the resurrection. This is the confidence that finally one day when we, when we see our Savior, that the sin that remains in you and I will be eradicated and we will be trans, transformed to be as he is. It is our confidence that God is going to transform this world and the curse will finally be lifted and He will make all things new and His kingdom will become um, sight. It will be in our midst. That's our, that's our future hope. But there's also a present hope. Our present hope looks for God's presence, provision, and plans at work today, at work today, so, so here's the question, which do you think that we are more tempted to embrace to the exclusion of the other? Future hope, 
We do it all the time. We, we, we tend to embrace our future hope and miss to the exclusion sometimes of our present hope. As some have said, that the, that the professing church is so heavenly minded that it's of no earthly good. And I, and I know that in, in my life, one of the corrections that I have to make from time to time, like I have to remind myself, I have to remind myself that, uh, that God has, has promised abundant life, not one day, not just one day, but He's promised abundant life today. God is transforming the world today. God is at work. God is on the move in our midst. Part of the reason that I really think that this is hard for us, part of the reason that we miss this and forget this and maybe even kind of reject this at times is because we, um, we often seem to... to that transformation, our present hope, often comes through struggle. It often comes um, through struggle. Change does not come easy to you and I. An, an axiom that I learned years ago, it's always stuck with me because it just makes so much sense, is that people don't change until it becomes too uncomfortable to remain the same. You know? If people don't change, so it becomes too uncomfortable to remain, to remain the same. I, until it just becomes so hard that I finally have to change, that's when I'm going to change. I'm not real good about self-discipline in my life. I really need the discipline of others in my life, be that my, my boss, be that my, my wife or my family, not that my wife would ever discipline me. But, but, but you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's hard for us to receive it that way. And guess what? God loves us and He is in the business of disciplining our, our lives. He brings about change in our lives and it is, it is hard to receive it that way. But it's so important. When it happens that way, this is why it is so important for us to be certain of God's promises. Like, like when that happens, we're so likely to misunderstand what God is doing. So I really have to be certain of God's promises in my life. Because there is going to be, and you know this, we know this, there is going to be much disappointment, much discouragement, much failure, much suffering in this life. And, and if you and I are not certain of a God who uses those very adversities to draw us to Himself, then we might just kind of, you know, punt on all this. We might just kind of tap out. And some do. Some just say, you know what? God did not meet my expectations, and I'm done. I'm just, I'm just done. But I'll say this. But I think all of us do that for a time. From time to time, we do that for a time in our lives. I know, sadly, I know that's true in my own, in my own life. One of the most powerful ways to be transformed through our present hope is, is for us to be rooted in God's promises. Some have, have called this um, God's promise to the world. A, a book of promises is, is His Bibles, the way it's described. And that's true. This is a, a book of, of promises. Matter of fact, you could say it this way. You could say that everything here is a promise. Like this entire book is a promise. 
This is a, a, a book that is promise. You could say it this way, that every word that comes out of the mouth of God is a promise. Like he doesn't have to stop and say, oh, by the way, that was a promise. He's a God of integrity. He is good, as we sang. He is a good, good father. And he absolutely can be trusted. Everything he says, unlike you and I, who'd say, oh, let me promise. I always hate that in a movie, right? When somebody promises something. Like you know when they do that in a movie, they're going to end up breaking the promise, right? It just kind of sets something up. That never happens with God, except when we place expectations on him that are not consistent with who he is. Not consistent with who he is. Well, while that's true, the fact is there are specific promises that can be found in his word. One such place that we can go to that is in 2 Peter. So 2 Peter 1 talks about his promises and how those promises are necessary in present hope. Like how those promises actually transform our lives. This is what it says. It says, His divine power, chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which, like, like through His glory and His perfection, His excellence, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that... Through them, through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by by sinful desires. Like the more I understand and embrace the promises of God in my life, the more I abide in those and hold on to those in my life, the more the Holy Spirit literally transforms me and I begin to exhibit the, 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 the nature of God, right? The, the, the divine nature, I participate in His divine nature through the Holy Spirit, and that keeps me from um, moving into the sinful nature in my life. I am being transformed through the, 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 the present hope of God, right? And, and as that happens, like as that goes on, as I move from the place where I came to faith and... God is going to move me to this place of immature faith onto mature love. And as that happens, my life, the lives of the people of God, as that process goes on, that work of transformation, we become a sweet aroma. We become a compelling aroma to the world around us, to the lost world around us. You know, the the love that, that we operate in that we exhibit is different than the than the domestic everyday just kind of get through the week kind of love that the world knows and operates in right the quid pro quo kind of love I'll do for you and you do for me I mean that's that's the currency of love that the world trades in that's what we trade in most commonly in our lives even if, even as believers oftentimes right it's not the love that the, that the Lord wants to, to exhibit to the world around us. And so he goes on here in verses 5 through 8, and he describes what that love looks like. And as he does this, I want you to think about this. The God's an artist, you guys. 
God God's is working a masterpiece, not only in my life and your life, but in the people of God, in the church. That's what it tells us in, in Ephesians 2.10, is that he's creating a masterpiece, a work of, our, of art. It's the, the word we get poem from. It's a, it's a work of art. And so it's kind of like when I come to faith, when you come to faith, our life is like a block of granite. Not, not trying to say that I was all chiseled when I was 19 and came to faith as a block of granite. What I'm saying is that um, God looks at us and says, you know what, we're going to, we've got to remove some pieces here. We've got to remove some of this so that the pieces that remain are meaningful and significant and useful to me in showing this love to the world that is so unique. Right? And so he goes on and he talks about how, the, uh, how this, this, this artist, the Holy Spirit, is going to remove pieces to leave pieces, to give shape to other pieces. And so this is, this is what he says in, uh, as he goes on. My pages are turning in the wind here. He says, so for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they're going to keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the... the, the Holy Spirit, this, this master work, working artist, looks at this, this block of granite that is our lives of, of faith. That the, the day came when you turned to believing that you understood what love was, like what life was all about, and you put your confidence that God is good. Like that picture of love that He showed us on the cross when Jesus took the spot for you and I, and sacrificed himself in our place while we were yet sinners, we said, you know what? Maybe there's something to that. Our hearts were rent, and we turned and embraced God and his goodness, and faith began in our lives. And so then he says, we're going to have to do some more work here. We're going to have to move this raw faith on to something. And so he begins to remove something to leave this picture of virtue, it says. right? You're going to add virtue to faith. Another word for virtue is excellence or goodness. This is the idea that that something works according to how it was designed. Something is said to be good because it does what it was supposed to do. A hammer that hammers a nail well is said to be a good hammer. A car that gets me places faithfully and quickly and smoothly is said to be a good car. We are good if we are image bearers of Christ, right? If I am going, God has called me to bear his image to the world, to love the world well, and give him the glory in the process. That's, that's what he's called us to do. Like in the invisible kingdom of God, right here in the, in the midst of this world where God cannot be seen, God, as the king, as the ruler, has placed you and I in this invisible kingdom so that he will be seen. And more and more, he wants to take this raw shape of faith and turn it into something that is a sweet aroma and is unique to the world around us. So our goodness is beginning to be shaped by the Holy Spirit. And next, he's going to remove some things, some parts of that marble and begin to give shape to knowledge. Knowledge is this practical knowledge that says you have everything you need 
to be able to handle what what God brings into your life. This is the practical knowledge. This is not just knowledge of God dealing with, with big ideas theologically. This is the practical stuff. A lot of us miss the, the, this idea that, man, I just don't feel like I have what it takes today to get through the day. And I'm telling you, God wants to give shape to that in your life. He wants to prepare you for every good work. He wants you to believe and to know that everything you need for life and godliness He has given you as you turn to Christ. And the next is, is kind of a double-sided coin that He's going to give shape to. It's self-control and steadfastness. Self-control is like the brake pedal of life, helping us deal with all the, the, uh, the pleasures of life. Steadfastness is like the gas pedal in our life, helping us to deal with all the pressures in our life. The pleasures in our life, if we're not careful, if we don't learn through the Spirit to apply that brake pedal, then the truth is I am going to find that those things that I enjoy, those pleasures in, in life, are going to so control my life that they lead me into a life of addiction, self-absorption, and destruction. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to be able to love people well. I'm not going to be credible if that's what my life is known as. And so through the Spirit, I have got to understand the importance. If I'm going to love well, if that aroma is going to be a sweet aroma and a unique aroma to the world, I've got to learn to be able to apply that brake pedal. And the other side of that is I've got to be able to apply the gas pedal. So when people are hard, when circumstances are hard, when God is confusing and frustrating and disappointing, I've got to keep my foot on the gas and keep moving forward. Not look for a bailout. Not like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm tapping out of this circumstance. This is just too hard. God wants to give shape to those if we are going to love well. And then He's going to remove some more of that marble and give shape to, to godliness in our life. Godliness means the, the, this this that the priorities and the passions of my Savior are beginning to be seen in my life. They're beginning to be made manifest in my life. That when people look at my life, I, I'm beginning more and more to live above the pettiness of this life, to, to live above the temporal things of this life and be concerned about the things of God. And finally, he begins to give shape to love. See, brotherly kindness is phileo love. It is, it's, it's our love that we have for those that are easy to love, those that are enjoyable to love. The people of God is really the picture here. The kindness we have, the brotherly love we have for one another. It's coming to that place where I begin to realize I love being together with the people of God, the fellowship that we can, that we can share, the encouragement that goes on here. But let's face it, right? There's some in the body of Christ that are hard to love. And so, and, and, but predominantly those that are um, outside the body of Christ, the world um, is what was in mind when we talk about this final mature love that we come to. You see, love that is mature and sac- is, is going to be sacrificial and committed and strategic, it is God's love. It is agape love. It is a unique kind of love that is very different than the world knows. And He wants His people to grow into this love, to, to understand this love. God wants us to be transformed through our present hope and our future hope and move us from mere immature faith onto mature love. And as we do, I'm telling you, the gospel becomes compelling to the world around us. Do you realize what a profound purpose that the people of God have 
to the world around us. Sometimes we get bored in this life. We get bored coming to church, you know, and, and, and it's because I think we forget the purpose that God has for our life. How, how significant and weighty this time is. How significant and weighty it is every time I roll out of bed each and every day that God's fingerprints want to be all over my life because they are all over the world. He's busy transforming the world. God is on the move. We have a profound purpose as the people of God. But I know this. I know that for some here today, you've come to this place where you have tapped out. You've just said, enough. I mean, I've, I've had enough disappointment, enough frustration, and right now I'm just on a hiatus, you know? I'm, I'm just taking some time off. I can tell you this. Sometimes the only way forward is backwards. Sometimes the only way forward is backwards. It's important at times in our lives for us to remember. The, 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 the act of remembering um, causes us to, to look backwards and to see how things fit back together, right? God was always telling Israel, I want you to write this down. I want you to put this into song, put this into verse. I want you to build a memorial. I want this, there to be an Ebenezer here, as Mark reminded us of weeks ago. I want there to be these places of remembering, of putting things back together so that you recognize that you are still a loved member of God's people, of God's work, right? This is our hope that we, we have a confidence that God is not through with our lives. And so I would encourage you, I would encourage you to take some time and remember with a friend with a spouse, maybe as a family or a small group, to spend some time looking back at the good, faithful things that God has done. And as you do, the strange thing happens. You begin to, to realize, wow, I'm still a part of God's work. I, I can see how I fit in to all this. You'll see in your notes in the bulletin, I asked the, our pastoral team at uh, Christmas, be thinking about what uh, you would say that God, that you, you see God has done in 2017. That everybody chimed in. You weren't able to get them all on there. That's why you don't have any place to write your notes today. That's why none of you are writing right now, right? Because you have no place to write your notes. Uh, but we took up all that space. And so I'd encourage you to look back at some of the things we've written down there. But also, I, I put them there. I wanted to have them in your hands for this reason. I want you to realize that as a pastoral team, we are so excited about what God continues to do through this body. We are so convinced and certain that God has a plan for TBC and so many other solid churches in this community as we move forward. God is not done with us. You see, the quality of our love is evidence of the confidence in our hope. I've been thinking a lot about hope the last couple of years you see, two years ago, my mom was uh, diagnosed with brain cancer. Glioblastoma multiforme is what it was called, what it is called. And it is and it was terminal. My mom was given 18 months. She beat the odds. She, uh, she lived 20 months. And she died on Tuesday morning last month, November 7th. 
my mom and I, we were, we were good friends. My mom played a very pivotal role of my coming to faith 34 years ago as I watched her come to genuine faith out of a life of, of really 30 plus years of some empty religion. My mom's life was being transformed and, and she was pursuing her summit, if you will. And that was clear to everyone uh, who knew my mom. Um, our hope gave my mom new uh, perspective to persevere through some tough things. She came through an abusive upbringing. She lost uh, two of her four sons. Um, so I've, I've lost two of my younger brothers. My brother Jason's still alive. He came to faith about four years ago, which is exciting. As well, um, she persevered through some rocky times in, a, in her marriage. But my mom came to love differently. And that love had tremendous impact on her family and her friends and her co-workers. About four months before my mom died, we were, we were having a, a really honest conversation. It was a tough conversation. And my mom just admitted to me, she says, Shannon, I had, I had so many more plans. Like, I, I'm not done. I'm not done. I had all these plans left to do. And uh, we were both in tears. And, and, and of course, I just let it linger in the air. I mean, what do you say to that, right? And finally, I asked my mom, I said, I said, Mom, is there any good that's come from this cancer? Like, I, like I get it. I know that a ton of bad has come. I get that. But, but have you seen any good that has, that has come from this? And she thought about it. And she said, well, yeah, I, I guess I can see that, that uh, God's kept me pain-free throughout this. And, and, the, and those that she was doing treatment with had not remained pain-free. Um, she says, so that's, that's amazing. Matter of fact, my mom remained pain-free until the last month of her life, which they told us that will not happen. And it did. And she thought about it a bit more, and she goes, and you know, yeah, like I've been lucid all through this. The cancer first settled right next to the language center of her brain. And we just were convinced that she was going to lose that and lose identity and, and lose the ability to really even communicate. And so she said, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, like I have been lucid where all those that I've been going down and doing treatment among, they're not. Like most, most of them are not. And she thought about it some more and she said, you know, I don't know if God would have, could have done this any other way or if this would have happened any other way, but he's brought about amazing reconciliation between your father and me. And she thought a little bit more and says, and I think God has brought about some beautiful reconciliation between um, you boys and he as well. And then in tears, as we talked about some other things, she came back and she said, you know, I just wonder if God is going to use this cancer to bring some others in my, my family and, fr- and some of my friends to faith. It was hard. It was so, so hard. Like our mountain climbing trip so many years ago, that the summit that my mom expected was blocked by a mass. It's a different kind of mass, but it's a mass nonetheless. And, and she knew she had more to do. But in the end, her plans and her work in this life were finished. And, and she finished them well. You know, she, she finished well. 
But because of the future hope that we have in Christ, I can tell you that, that she does have more to do. My mom has lots more to do in the age to come and in the, the many ages that are going to follow if I read uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 correctly, right? But our present hope, my, our present hope tells us that God's not finished with us in this life until He is finished with us, right? And maybe like my mom and I, you need to remember because God is always at work. And this community, this community needs to see God's people with a sincere love and a certain hope. Because the quality of our love is evidence of the certainty of our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our hope in Christ and that You are a God who transforms lives. Father, thank You for Your very promises and that everything that comes from Your mouth can absolutely be trusted. Father, I pray that You would use each of our lives. Help us to remember. Help us to uh, realize once again that we are an active member of Your family. And Father, that we roll out of bed each day ready to be used by You, that You are transforming us and through us want to transform um, our families, this body, and this community. Father, let us be a sweet aroma to the world around us. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks. You're dismissed. Happy New Year.